hello everyone. Lovely to have you here on our final episode of The Painful Truth for this year before we take a little break. I don't know what your pre-Christmas week is like after the year I've had, the busy, strange, exhausting kind of year it's been. I have to say I'm limping into Christmas just a little bit and looking forward, like I'm sure many of you are, to flopping down on Boxing Day, watching a bit of the cricket after we go to church, of course, and uh, doing not much in the days following. I do like Christmas in a bittersweet kind of way. It's a beautiful and fun and full of hope kind of time of the year, but it's also complex and difficult and stressful and sometimes sad. Uh, as many of you know, my mum died a few months ago. I'm sure I'll really miss her on Christmas morning. Christmas is a time of joy, but it's a time that reminds us that joy is elusive and surrounded by sorrow as well. Perhaps like a baby in a manger, you might say. And my favourite secular Christmas song captures this. It's Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It was originally sung by Judy Garland in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis in 1944. And it's been on just about everyone's Christmas album ever since. Frank Sinatra recorded probably the definitive version of it in the 50s. Although, interestingly, in his version, it's kind of made a bit more optimistic and light and festive. But the original captures the bittersweet nature of Christmas very wistfully and longingly. And the best recordings of the song express this. I like James Taylor's version, for example. Here's a few bars. Have yourself a merry little Christmas May your heart be light In a year our troubles will be out of sight It's sweet and sad all at the same time. Speaking of Christmas as a time of gathering and of friends and even of hope, and yet our lives just don't live up to the dream. In fact, we can only hope that maybe next year our troubles will be out of sight. Maybe next year we'll actually be able to gather with all our friends like we once did. And the song finishes, at least in the original version that James Taylor also sings here, with a recognition and a resignation that in the meantime we're just going to have to muddle through the best way we can and have the best Christmas we can now. I know that in a year we all will be together If the fates allow Until then we'll just have to muddle through Somehow Have ourselves a merry little Christmas It's a pretty good post-COVID Christmas song when you think about it. We might be able to get together this year, who knows, but maybe we'll be able to get together next year and in the meantime we'll just have to muddle through somehow. But of course, the best Christmas carols, or Christmas hymns, reflect these realities much better, much clearer. That is, that the joy of God becoming man at Christmas that we celebrate the reason it's such great news and is so joyful is because man was in such a desperate state. 
And the best carols reflect this. Hark the Herald Angels, of course, talks about peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joy to the World has a third verse that is often omitted that speaks of Jesus coming to lift the curse. But my favourite Christmas hymn, one that's hardly ever sung these days, expresses it even better. It's the beautiful old French carol, Thou Who Wast Rich Beyond All Splendour. Not sure if you know it, it goes like this. the King's College Cambridge Choir and the words are a little hard to follow sometimes in those choral versions. The first two verses go like this. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendour, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thrones for a manger didst surrender, sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendour, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake, becamest man. Stooping so low, but sinners raising, heavenward by thine eternal plan. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake, becamest man. The news of Jesus' incarnation is great news because of the lost and sinful world into which he was born and which he came to save. I've spent the last few days of this last pre-Christmas week finishing a draft of chapter two of the Two Ways to Live evangelistic book that a number of you have been very kindly helping me write with your feedback and suggestions. And this chapter is all about our rejection of God. It's really box two of Two Ways to Live. It's about our rebellion against our maker and ruler and all the damage we do to ourselves and each other and the world as a result. I'm about to read that final 800 words or so of that second chapter. It's the part that those of you who are partners and subscribers have been waiting on that I didn't send out last week. It's certainly not the happiest tinsel-covered subject for an end-of-year meditation, but then again, maybe it is the perfect pre-Christmas reading. A picture of the black night of Christmas Eve, if we can put it like that, into which the light of the world was born. Well, here it is, chapter two of the Two Ways to Live evangelistic book. This chapter is called The Human Problem, and the first two-thirds of it uh, that have already been sent out uh, to partners and subscribers that first part sets out the basic nature of our rebellion against God, how we turn from him to go our own way and reject him 
as our ruler. So I've already kind of spelt out the basic and essential nature of sin. And this last part digs into the consequences for our lives. When we reject God, we attack the foundations of everything that is true and good and beautiful in the world. We embrace that first lie and then all the other lies and follies and consequences start to compound. We see this played out in so many ways in our own lives and in our broader culture. In our personal lives, perhaps the most significant consequence of our declaration of independence from God is how hard we find it to be interdependent with each other. Once I've decided that I'm the centre of my world, not God, it puts me in an odd position with respect to you. We're no longer on the same level, both of us creatures of God, both made in his image, both taking our cue from him as to how we are to treat each other as fellow creatures. Now I'm the little God in charge of my own self and my own world, And when I encounter you, I find another little god who also thinks they are the most important person in their world. And then I find that there isn't room in our relationship for two little gods. One of us has to prevail. The self-interest, in other words, that comes so naturally to us, makes all relationships difficult. We're alienated in some way from each other. And we're also alienated from the world itself, Because Western society is no longer confident that the world is a created place with a good and beautiful shape given to it by its creator, we don't know what to do with the world. And there are multiple examples of this. We don't seem able, for example, to manage and develop the world's resources without exploiting and destroying them. We aren't able to find political leaders who don't, in the end, disillusion us with their lies or folly or corruption. We don't even seem able to figure out something as basic as what it means to be a man or a woman. In fact, a growing number of Westerners are now nervous to say that there even are such things as men and women, which is a rebellion against reality if ever there was one. For me personally, one of the most interesting and striking consequences is simply how ugly the modern Western world is. We seem to have lost confidence in the possibility or even desirability of beauty. Our cities are full of thrusting buildings of concrete and glass and steel whose ugliness we hardly even notice anymore. When was the last time you saw a house or a set of apartments built in the last, say, 50 years and thought how pleasing it was to the eye? It's the same with the arts. Almost no one listens to modern orchestral music these days because it's terrible. It has become discordant and jarring. Modern art seems more interested in making political or transgressive statements than in expressing anything beautiful about the world. And whenever I see a poem printed in the review section of the Saturday paper, I valiantly try to read it and make sense of it, but give up halfway through. This was not the case in a previous era. The arts were massively and widely appreciated, and we still enjoy and appreciate the artfulness and beauty of those works today. We look at the architecture of a century ago and wonder how they made buildings of such lasting character and beauty. As a culture, we find ourselves in a strange position. We're we're like teenagers who can't help being shaped and moulded by the family 
we were raised in, and yet whose hostility and rebellion against those values leaves us conflicted and confused. Our underlying cultural values are mostly Christian, and yet our rebellion against God and against Christianity has darkened our minds and hearts. We can't make sense of the world or of our lives. We still encounter the goodness and beauty of the world, and yet, perversely, we embrace ugliness and self-destructive behaviour. This is true of our culture, but much more importantly, it's true for each one of us. The human problem isn't just out there in society, it's in each of our hearts. We're all in personal rebellion against the God who made us. This is the human problem, and it's grim news. But this grim news is a vital part of the backstory to the incredible news or gospel about Jesus. If the news about Jesus was a movie, we're still in that middle part of the story where things are getting worse and more complicated. But good news is coming. A resolution is coming. But to understand and appreciate it, there's one more piece of sober news to wrap our minds and hearts around. And it's about God. We've talked a lot in this chapter about our attitude to God, our rebellion against him, and all the consequences that flow from that. But what is God's attitude to our rebellion? Well, that's the end of chapter two. And as always, I'd love your thoughts on it. Please just send me an email to tonyjpain at me.com with any thoughts or ideas or suggestions. And to finish, I'd really just like to thank you all once again for your partnership and fellowship over this past 12 months, whether you're on the free list of The Painful Truth or whether you're one of the partners or subscribers. It's been a real joy to be able to sit down each week and write something for you and record this podcast. I do hope and pray that you've found it beneficial. And now as we take a little break, perhaps a little break that we all need, I pray that God gives you a restful and refreshing Christmas. I'll be back in touch in the second week of January or so. And in the meantime, I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Have ourselves a merry little Christmas now.